0: Today's reading comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which can be found in your pew Bibles in pages 835. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of our Lord. It is said that... Um, um... A famous theologian one time was preaching before a congregation and uh, got up to do the message and everybody settled in to hear the message. And um, and he said, God is love and sat down and and they sat there and and that was it. The next week they got together and he got up to preach again and and he said, God is love and he sat down and it was so uncomfortable for them. I know it might be really comfortable for you to go, woo, we're going to make it by <laughs> lunchtime today." And the third time he did it, and finally gradually people begin to talk in the pews. They begin to discuss what does it mean that he is love. And they begin to explore the depth and the beauty of those three simple words. I know that, that it must be hard to come back for the fourth week in a row now and look at the same. Scripture, but I'm going to trust that um, that God is revealing Himself each week, that that God is teaching us about Himself, and and maybe maybe as those few words, such a small portion of the entirety of Scripture, but the few words of that commission can sink in, and transform us, even as the God of love transforms us. So we've been talking together about how. Can we, how do we make disciples who make disciples? Last week, we went deeper in it. We tried to explore this concept of in whatever you do, in your going, make disciples who make disciples. And we we saw that. We get some really practical clues about how to do that. Pray, pray, the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Now, immediately we began to think, well, is he talking about praying and we will respond and And we learned something last week that that your prayer might be the catalyst that prompts someone else to open their heart to what God is doing and to reach a whole new mission field that you could never touch. Pray and proclaim peace, we learned last week, and then watch for that person of peace. For some of us, that was a brand new concept, that God has already prepared someone to hear the proclamation of peace that you will give by your life and by your words. God has already prepared someone, and, and when you obey Him... By praying and proclaiming, they will reveal themselves. So you don't have to go cold calling on people. When you uh, live conspicuously the Christian life, people will come to you. People of peace will come to you. And I got I got a first-hand visual of this this last week. Uh, one of our members, Kathy Turner, uh, who is not shy about sharing the gospel, um, Kathy had a knee surgery and and uh it was it is a big deal. We're getting ready for Kim to have it tomorrow um It's a big deal, and it is painful, especially knee surgery as you're as you're recovering but but uh kathy had her her Bible with her and and in moments of intense pain, she cried out to Jesus visibly physically and and verbally and 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 uh, nurses responded, not just in medical terms. Um, uh, The nurses who were caring for her began to respond to her. And and one of them uh, um, especially just opened her heart. There was a person of peace for Kathy. And this nurse responded. Kathy was sharing with me about a book that she was reading. And I I asked her, uh, you know, uh, do you still have it? She goes, no, I gave it away. I said, Kathy, that's a book that you marked up. That, that was very personalized, and she goes, I know, but but this woman needed it more than I did, and, and so she's in a relationship. As I visited Kathy yesterday, I learned that 15 years ago in Indianapolis, when she was also in a hospital, this time for Stan, then she um, found people of peace in that hospital... And, and they began a relationship that continues to this day today. They still invite her for their children's events. She goes up to Indianapolis to celebrate with the nurses who cared for Stan. This is real stuff, you guys. It doesn't have to be scary. It can be beautiful. It can be beautiful. So I just really want to encourage you. uh, Today, Jesus is going to give us yet another way to fulfill the commandment of to make disciples. I'm not sure that you heard it because that familiar passage went by really fast. Did you really hear it? I know that you heard it with your ears, but did you perceive it in your hearts? Did the word of God transform you in that inner person? so that you'll respond differently to God's call on your life. As I was doing my quiet time yesterday, I was in Luke 24 playing catch-up with the system that's actually in your bulletin. That's the one I follow. And I was catching up with Luke 24. And it includes the story of two men who were on their way to this town called Emmaus on Easter Sunday morning. Many of you are familiar with the story. And they had apparently been with the disciples in the upper room, and they heard and experienced everything that those women did. Remember Easter Sunday? God entrusted this, the totality of the future church to two women and, and gave them instructions on who they should share that with. And apparently these two guys were with them. We only know one of their names, Cleopas. Uh, but, but nothing changed in them. And, and, and apparently they were they just left that Easter Sunday evening and, and started going home and along the way, they were talking about it, even marveling about the things that they had seen, and yet they were still going home as if nothing had happened and here 's the crazy thing: they encountered Jesus on the way home they didn 't know it was him uh, it 's interesting, Luke puts it this way in verse sixteen. Um, of Luke 24, their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And it made me wonder, as I, was, as I was thinking about this very familiar Scripture, how many times have I read Scripture, heard the Word of God, and not? And my eyes were kept from seeing it, my ears were kept from hearing it. How many times have I not recognized Jesus in God's Word? It made me wonder, how many times have I heard the very voice of God? And how many times have we heard the very voice of God, and yet our ears were kept from hearing it, right? It made me wonder, how many times have I experienced the very presence of God with me, right? With me, and did not know it. My great fear this morning is that this might happen to us. Yeah, we're reading the words, we're hearing it with our ears, but are our hearts perceiving what God is saying? Do you remember what the men said when their eyes were opened they finally recognized God in their midst? Did not our hearts burn within us when He opened to us the scriptures? Now, may our hearts burn within us as we hear God's Word today. May our minds be open, not to the familiar stories and even the familiar ways of understanding this story, right? But may our hearts and minds be open to the very Spirit of God who reminds us of the words of Jesus, who softens our hearts, who opens our wills to respond to its meaning. Is that your desire this morning? Is it? That's not a rhetorical question. Is that your desire this morning? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, anytime we come to a passage of Scripture... Uh, And especially today, we're just going to look at a few words, just a very few words. Anytime we come to a passage of Scripture, there's a useful way of approaching it that involves three questions. What do these words say? Right. What do we understand these words to be saying? And then the question, what do they mean? And then I think one of the most important questions is what do they mean to me, in other words, how will my life be different if I believed them to be true and put them into practice? Okay? So let's, let's unpack this brief passage of Scripture. These words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't count the number of words, but it's a very few words, right? Let's practice unpacking Scripture with God's. Presence uh, on these brief words today. What do they say? What do these words say? Well, ostensibly, the words say that a part of making disciples who make disciples is bringing them to the point where they publicly identify with Christ and His church, right? Through baptism. And my guess is when you saw how that brief little passage, your immediate thoughts went to maybe an experience that you had or you witnessed where someone was baptized and you got that and you said, yeah, I understand that, that making disciples at some point, you want to mark their conversion with this outward sign of this inward grace, this, this act of baptism, right? And you are absolutely correct. Watch me grovel here for a couple of minutes. Don't for a moment think that I'm suggesting anything less. Okay? I don't With what I'm going to say next, don't think for a moment that I'm suggesting anything less than that public identification with Christ's death and resurrection. No. What I'm going to suggest to you is so much more. Is so much more. Not less. More. Okay? The sacrament... The sacred moment of baptism is a gift of God, and it's a means of grace by which he uses us to advance his kingdom. That's what the word of God says, and that's a very important part of what it means, okay? a very important part of what it means. There is so much powerful symbolism in the sign of baptism. There's much greater and larger symbolism than you or I could ever imagine. We tend to focus on one small part of the symbolism, get upset if anybody moves us beyond that, but, but um, Jesus used it, uh, the Apostle Paul used it, the, the, the authors of Scripture used it in many different ways to symbolize this amazing identification and participation in Christ's death. So, so uh, turn with me if you have your Bible. Keep your finger right there in the Great Commission if you're there. Uh, if you have your phone, I'm not sure how easy this is to do, or your written Bible. Turn with me over to the book of Galatians, if you would, uh, and Galatians chapter two, and the Apostle Paul talks about this symbolism. This identification and participation in Christ's death. Many of you have this scripture memorized. I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul writes, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. Galatians 2.20. I was quoting from the NIV because I know a lot of you memorized it in the NIV here, right? Wow, This, this this is identification and even Paul is saying participation. I have been crucified with Christ. The old me has been put to death, right? The old me has been put to death with Christ. And, and, and so it's a powerful visual image of that. But it's not just identification and participation in his death. It's also identification and participation in his resurrection, right? Turn over with me to the book of Romans. Back to your left a little bit. Romans chapter 6. We mentioned this briefly last week, but let's look at the larger passage Roman chapters, Romans chapter six, beginning verse four, i jumping right in the middle of a long discussion that Paul is having. But in the ESV, he writes this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That covers what we just talked about in Galatians 2.20, right? In order that, in other words, there's a purpose for identifying with his death, Right. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Is that true? Has Christ been raised from the dead? Has He? Yes, He has. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? Just as we identify and even participate in Christ's death, On the cross, so we identify with. We are a resurrection people. We identify with and participate. When Christ was raised from the dead, I know this is mind-blowing, we too were raised from the dead. The same power, right? That raised Christ from the dead lives in us. It lives in us. Oh my goodness. So, two other points. The purpose of resurrection is newness of life, that we might be born again. When we by faith identify not only with his death, but his resurrection, and we are born again and granted newness of life. And that would be enough, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be just enough to know that all things have been made new? All things, not some things, not most things. All things have been made new in Christ. That's why Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, he just goes in this long diatribe, but I, I can't look at anybody the same way. I can't regard you according to the flesh, the Apostle Paul says, because you've been made new. There's a brand new beginning. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it here. There's a brand new beginning for us, right? We've been granted newness of life. But note that he's, he, we have to walk in that newness of life. Does it matter that we've been granted newness of life if we never walk in it? Does it grant that we've been entrusted with all authority in heaven and on earth by Jesus Christ if we never walk in that authority? Does it matter? No it doesn't right so so baptism is this beautiful thing uh, this baptism in the trinitarian name of god it's the one thing that binds all christians of all backgrounds of all ethnicities and traditions we disagree on a lot of things but but the one thing that those who are called christians Understand together is that we've been granted newness of life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is one, right? Coexisting eternally in, in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These things are powerful. Amen. These things are true. These things are true. That's what the Word of God says. But, what do they mean? What do they mean? See, it's so easy, isn't it, to give intellectual assent. Many of you just did. It's so easy to give intellectual assent to things that we intellectually believe to be true. But what difference do they make in our lives? What do they mean, right? It's easy to think that this word means that we're to seek to baptize as Many people as we can, and some, including very prominent churches and movements right here in Evansville, have even understood these words to mean that it's the act of symbolic baptism that saves us. It's the act that saves us, right? And so it's going to be critically important. I don't wrestle with whether I share this illustration, but I won't mention the background that the person was coming from, but I was a pastor and I was I was talking with him about this. Um, it's called baptismal regeneration, that the act of baptism is what saves you. And I said, so you're telling me, excuse me, this sounds pretty confrontive, and it was. You're telling me that if I stood, where's Chris, if I stood in the front of our church with a fire hose and hosed down people that were walking by in the name of Jesus... And and he was a little chagrined. He says, well, obviously, that's not the intent. But practically, that's the outcome. But, but we all know, don't we, people that have been baptized and are not saved. Excuse me, I said that wrong. People have been baptized and are not saved. We all know and maybe are people that have participated in communion, the sacrament of communion, and don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? It's not the act that, that accomplishes it for you. It's the faith that led you to the act, right? That accomplishes these things for you. It's not the symbolic act of participating in a sacrament that saves you. Now, I, I can understand, I think, how we come to believe that. Um, if you love God, what will you do? You will obey, right? And so, uh, to the limited extent that we love God, we say, oh, okay, he says, um, be baptized, so I will be baptized. in um, obedience, we do things that um, are not coming from our heart, but are coming from our minds. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. Um, we'll talk about obedience next week. But let me just say right here, you must respond in obedience to the heart of the word and not just the symbolic representation of it. Did you follow that? Not sure if that was in your notes or not, but you must respond to the heart of the word and not just the symbolic representation. I am not witness my whole big excursion at the very beginning. I'm not minimizing the symbolic act of baptism. I said, don't miss the meaning behind it. Right? I don't want to minimize at all the sacrament of holy communion, but don't minimize the events that it celebrates, right? Don't minimize the truth that is behind it. You must respond in obedience to the heart of the word and not just the symbolic representation. I've got um, a wedding ring on. I had to look at which hand it was. Um, um, this is a purity ring over here and a, and a wedding ring over here, right? But I can wear that ring and break the covenant that it represents. Amen? Imminently possible to do. Wearing the ring, the symbolic act of It's beautiful. And I love that part of our culture that uses a ring to symbolize it. The symbolic act of wearing the ring does not accomplish the covenant. That has to be lived out every day. Every day before God. So, so um, we want to say, what do these words mean? What's the deeper understanding of that? too? To grasp them, we're going to have to go a little deeper into this phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's three important words in there, I think, that are, that are good and going to help us here. Again, your mind's immediately going to go to the symbolic representation. Don't let it happen there. Ask yourself, what does this mean first, right? Um, The first word is baptize, and the word literally means to immerse. It literally means to immerse, right? I'm going to say even submerge, right? Submerge. Now, several of us might jump on this and say, see, I told you that the only right way to baptize someone is by immersion, right? How much pain and division has been wrought in the body of Christ because we confuse the sign with the sacrament we confuse the symbolic act with the reality behind it in other words in other words confusing the way we baptize with the meaning of baptism i spoke so strongly just a couple of moments ago when i said the act of baptism doesn't save you the belief in christ's work on your behalf symbolized by the act of baptism does right It symbolizes it beautifully. But I'm going to speak strongly to you again. Right now, how you're baptized does not matter. Wow. Whether by immersion, submerging someone in the water, or by effusion, which we do here at All of That, of of lifting up handfuls of water, or by sprinkling, as some traditions do the, the how does not matter. When you're baptized, I'm hanging myself out here. When you're baptized is not the ultimate value either. In obedience, we're baptized when we come to faith or we're baptized when our parents entrust us to the larger community of faith um, but, but there are people that are going to be in heaven that were never baptized, right? Because they, they believed by faith and, and did not ever get to that point where they were baptized. How and when are not important compared to this, what you understand baptism to represent that that 's what matters. So I'm going to be brazen here and say the next couple of minutes are going to be really, really important. Do you have ears to hear today the Word of God? Do you have a heart that is soft and open to that word calming and taking root in your heart? Do you have a mind that will release you from all the narratives, all the ways you've understood things before and be open to the Holy Spirit's guidance here? You see, to immerse means to be enveloped or completely surrounded by something, right? To submerge yourself in something. We're to go all in, right? Or not at all. We're to go all in with God. I'm sorry for the poker imagery here. Um, it brings to my mind, um, when the people of God were finally, after a whole generation died in the wilderness, had finally come to the edge of the promised land. In other words, God's goal for them. They finally got there and there's only one thing between them and touching the soil that had been promised and been ex- and set out since the time of Abraham for them. And, and they got there. Do you remember? The river was at flood stage, right? And and just like God had done 40 years before in the Red Sea, He commanded them to go and Stick their foot in the river. Stick their foot in the river. And that river at flood stage did not part until they were all in. Symbolically through the first priest that touched that water, right? Um, They had to risk submerging themselves in the will of God. And so don't miss, in the, the act of baptism... Don't miss the fact that He's inviting you to go all in with God, right? He's inviting you to go all in with the Lord. Either trust God completely or you don't trust Him at all. Oh, man, I'm saying so many hard things today. You either trust God completely, all in, or you don't trust Him at all. That's the nature of our faith. For a lot of us in in North America, we want a little bit of God, just enough to make us feel good about our spiritual relationships. We want God like we want seasoning. This is precious to me. We want seasoning on our food, right? Just enough to give it some taste, but not enough to really transform it. The word immerse allows for no confusion. It leaves no doubt we're either all in or we're not in at all. And that brings us kind of to the second word. And I think, uh, in your notes, I might have left it. No, I didn't because it says a blank for you. The word is in. The second word is in. But up here, I posted for you the little two next to that, right? And if you happen to have your Bible with you, and I'm, I'm working out of an ESV, so it might not um, be the same in other translations. If you have your Bible with you, that you see that little word, too, and then you look down at the bottom of the page, right? You look down at the bottom of the page, the footnote at the bottom of the page, and it says that the word can, and I'm going to say maybe should, be translated into. Into. You following me yet? Isn't that interesting? In other words, we don't just baptize someone by using... Words that follow, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, the command is to actually immerse them into the name, right? Into the name of the Father. Into the name of the Son. Not in the name. Don't just bless what you're doing by using the name, but actually immerse them in the name. So it's critical that we look at what follows, right? If this is really the idea of being... Uh, Submerged into something, what is it? It is the name. It is the name. Now, again, um, we're so tempted to to take shortcuts here, but what does a name represent, right? What does a name represent? Sometimes the name has meaning. I don't know how seriously my parents took um, the meaning of my name. I think one time we were goofing with baby names or something, and I looked up the most famous or most popular names when I was born, 1958. And I think at least two out of the top three were David and Michael, right? And so I don't know if they just thought this is a cool name that's going around right now. But uh, wow, I do know this. I have spent my life, I have spent my life trying to live up to my name. Are you following me? I have spent my life trying to live up. And I don't even know if they intended that. I'm glad that they didn't name me Lord of the Flies or something. Right? I don't know if they intended that. But my name continues to speak to me. It continues to invite me back to whom my parents possibly, but certainly my Heavenly Father calls me to be. Sometimes the name has meaning. Not always, but sometimes Sometimes we give meaning to the name. Sometimes we give meaning to the name. Whether or not the meaning of your name has significance, you give that name meaning, right? Positively or, or, or negatively, you give that name meaning. I don't know what David Wilson's parents meant by giving him that name. But I do know this, that he gave that name meaning. Amen? Um, and it means something for us now, right? His life gave the name meaning. But let's think about it in the negative sense for a second. How many people do you know, and there actually are people, but how many do you know that named their child Satan? Or Beelzebub, Right? Or even since World War II, how many of them have named their child Adolf? Sorry if there are any Adolfs in the room. Um, you know, are you following me? Um, sometimes your name gives negative meaning, or your your life gives negative meaning to the name, right? How many name their children Judas um, in, in Christian culture, right? At some point in time, the names may have even been popular or had significant meaning, but... We have given them, they have been given new meaning by the people who had them. Again, it can represent a life that's well lived. Even now, not even with a first name, but a last name. I think uh, the Johnsons are back here in the center here. And I think in the Parenting, Growing Kids, God's Way series. And forgive me if I misremember this, but I remember, I think Kim was saying um, to her children when, when they were young, we are Johnsons. We are Johnsons, and Johnsons don't do that, right? I still remember Johnsons don't do that. The, the, the surname, the last name, um, carries on from generation to generation. And, and so, so, um, even, even last names can have that kind of effect. They can be transformed by the people to whom they're given. But here's a third possibility, and that's that the name can be shorthand for the character of the individual. The name can be shorthand for the character of the individual. I want to suggest what could be true for us is certainly true for God. Yahweh has powerful meaning. Yahweh, I am that I am, has powerful meaning all by itself, but it's given even more power by the character of the loving God who owned it, right? Jesus, a God saves, Yeshua, has powerful meaning all by itself, but but it has been given so much more power and authority by the nature and character of the one who bore that name. So so Jesus himself is inviting us to immerse ourselves In the nature and character of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, submerge yourself. And as you make disciples, submerge them, walk with them into the flood stage. Um, of, of, of God's nature and character. Walk with them into the very nature of God. One more important concept here. And that was powerful enough. But by putting all three of them together, right? It's not just the name that is important. Jesus commands us to make disciples by immersing us not only in the character of the Father and the Son and and the Holy Spirit, but in the relationship between them. Okay? I want to, I want to try and visualize this for a second. Sarah, are you nearby? Uh, Chris and Caden, come on up for just a second. Um, we did this kind of on the fly in uh, Sunday school this morning, but I want to give you just a visual representation if I can. Um, Caden, would you come on up here where we can see you a little bit? Um, if, if, uh, and don't please don't stumble over genders and all those kinds of things. But if if we can imagine that Caden is the uh, is God the Father and and Chris is is by the name Christopher Christ bearer. Chris is the Christ figure, and and Sarah is is representing the Holy Spirit. Um, this is what the the nature of God looks like and has forever looked like. Okay, pretty cool, huh? Um, for eternity past and eternity future, God has existed one God in three. Please don't stumble over the human symbols here. In three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right, uh, but but here's what God the Father in love did for us. Right, He opened up the Trinity, and sent His Son into the world, symbolized by Brendan over here. He sent His Son into the world. No, He went all the way to Brendan. Yeah. And, and invited Brendan into the community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? But something still wasn't right. I mean, it's really cool that Brendan has been invited into this, isn't it? It's really cool. But something's not right. And, and, and Jesus went to multiple people. There's one in the back we're looking for, Jesus. And he invited Maddie into this as well. And, and do you understand this? I, this is so powerful. Brendan and Maddie are invited into the very community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And they will forever experience that community together, right? But here's the deal. That community is still not complete. God is still in the business of inviting men and women, students, children, into the very community of the Father and the said, Does that mean that somewhere there will be like a 50-pointed uh, Trinity symbol? No, no. We're not confusing. Brendan is not God the Father. Brendan is not one of the Godhead. He's just invited to experience that community. And now, Brendan's job... Um, don't ask you to do anything here. He's going, uh-oh... Um, Brendan's job is to invite as many people into that community as well, right? Maddie's job. Because guess where, guess where Jesus is right now? Look where he is, and then guess where he is? He's at the right hand of God, the Father, praying for Brendan, praying for Maddie, that they will be him wherever they go, and that they will invite other people to submerge themselves in the very nature and character of God. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do you understand? It's not even just about proclaiming peace and watching for that person of peace. God has always existed in community. He's always existed in community. He has forever past and forever future. And God invites us into His community, right? To live in accountable Living accountable relationship with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We didn't symbolize it, but we could have that when Brendan went to sit down. Guess who went with him? Holy Spirit went with him. Right. And this miracle that is is God's presence through the Holy Spirit in all of us. When Maddie went to sit down, the Holy Spirit went with Maddie. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you through his Holy Spirit. He will empower you to do what he asks to make disciples who make disciples by inviting them into the community of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit to immerse them or submerge them in the very nature of character and character of God. And, and, And especially here to invite all of us into his community, not just the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. But living accountable relationship with Christian community. See, here's the kicker. The the sign, don't confuse the sign with the reality. The symbol of God's unity on earth is Christian co-unity or community on earth, right? And I know it's popular in our culture to think, I can just be an individual Christian, but God's word doesn't seem to indicate that that's true. At some point, we need to reach out and invite into Christian community the people who we are immersing in the nature and character of God. So what do these words mean to me? Certainly now we, we have come to a deeper understanding of what does it mean to make disciples, right? But for many of us, There's also a very personal call. Some of us are saying, you know, I I don't feel ready to go invite someone else. I'm not sure that I'm completely submerged. And I know that none of us really are until we stand before Him face to face. But maybe the call for you is to become a disciple. Not necessarily to make them. To become a person who is like Jesus. I trust God's Holy Spirit to already be prompting you of how you can put this word into practice. But can I share with you three ways that the Spirit's been speaking to me in this? And I'll suggest them and let you meditate on them as long as they don't interfere with what God's saying to you already. First of all, how can we do this? We can immerse ourselves in the word of God. The way we know God is through His written and His Spoken, When the Holy Spirit is doing that mystery that I don't understand and and deafening you to my words and speaking instead his words to you through the spoken word of God, but especially through the living word of God, Jesus, immerse yourself, immerse yourself in those things. And you have more tools at your disposal now than ever before. You can at any point open your phone and plug into the spoken word of God, either through our own podcast, but there's wonderful teachers out there. There's wonderful learning out there. You can immerse yourself in the spoken. You can immerse yourself daily in the written word. You can, you can certainly immerse yourself in Jesus. Immerse yourself in the word of God. But as I'm going to just say it and then we'll deal with it next week. Immerse yourself in the will of God. If you hear the word and you don't respond to it, you're not immersing yourself in the will of God. Again, we'll pick it up next week. But then also immerse yourself in the worshiping community of God. I think so many times our deacons go out and they visit people unable to be with us and they bring the worshiping community to the person and they worship with that person. Immerse yourself. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know right now God has given you the privilege of immersing yourself in the body of Christ. I'm going to participate in just a few moments in the dedication of another pastor here, but I want to invite you right now. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. Come on up, worship team. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. I want to invite you to ask yourself the hard questions right here before you go. To ask yourself if, this question If I believed this word to be true today, If I believe this to be true, what would I need to do in response? What would I need to do? We're going to actually give you minutes. They're just going to give you some background privacy music and just take a minute or two and, and say, if I believe this to be true, what would I need to do? When am I going to do that? When am I going to put that word into practice? Secondly, ask yourself, who... Will I tell what I've learned today? You don't really know that you have something until you share it with someone else, right? It's true for love and it's true for truth. You don't really know you have it until you share it with someone else. And my challenge to you, don't share it with a Christian who already believes it. Find that person of peace. And say, can I talk with you at the water cooler about, about what I learned this last Sunday? And watch what God does when you risk, believer, trusting Him.